am now running an international charity that really focuses on the mobilization of the, the most marginalized girls in the global south to find their voice, to connect with their voice, to know what it sounds like, and then to learn how to use it to create the change that they want to see in their own communities. Orbiting 250 miles above, the space station provides us with the ultimate view of planet Earth. From this perspective, we ask our guests to engage with six questions that orbit around wonder and stories of hopefulness. For the next few minutes, this is our wonder space. Welcome to the 119th episode of the Wonder Space podcast. My name is Steve Cole, and over the past three years, I have asked the same six questions to amazing people from around the world. Questions that orbit around wonder and stories of hopefulness. This week on Wonder Space, we orbit with Julia Lynch, who is the founder and CEO of Global Girl Project. Global Girl Project works in 13 countries, mobilizing the most marginalized girls throughout the global south to become agents of social change through community development and social action. Julia was nominated by Britta Fernandez-Schmidt, who is a transformational coach and an ambassador for Women for Women International. Her Wonder Space episode is number 67. With this expansive overview of Earth, I start by asking Julia if we could do a fly past over any part of the world that is significant to you, which place, city or country would it be and why? There's many for me and, you know, I, especially considering the work that I do, obviously I'm somebody who... Um, you know, it does feel connected to a number of different parts of the world. But for me, the country that that sort of stands out to me is Nepal. I've done a lot of work in Nepal, but it, I also sort of started in a lot of ways my journey of using difficult, challenging opportunities as a way to grow and shift and change. Um, and eventually where I ended up running my my charity global girl project and it's you know it's a it's a country that is just it's gorgeous it's a beautiful place but it's also a place where so many different cultures and religions come together um and it's a place that really honestly people generally want to help want to be of service are genuinely kind people um, and it's a beautiful place as well. It's a tiny little little place that a lot of people don't know a lot about. So I'd say Nepal. Julia, give us a glimpse into your life story so far with an emphasis on what you are doing currently. Everything that's happened in my life up to this point has definitely been with the energy to push me to where I am now. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm Canadian. I grew up in a small town, an all-white town. Um, I'm, you know, I'm a, a woman of color. I figured out I was gay sort of fairly early on in a time when, like, before Ellen DeGeneres came out, was, you know, nobody was, nobody was out. I never really fit into 
uh, a lot of the boxes that existed for me. And, and because of my personality, I saw that as, as an opportunity to be able to do whatever I wanted um, because the expectations didn't really apply at that point. And I also, you know, I grew up in a family where it was, I have a Jamaican father who was quite strict, quite patriarchal, you know, a lot of sex, sort of sexist ideas about my role as a woman and my power as a woman. And that really spurred me on in many different ways to challenge what, what was expected of me. And, you know, fast forward however many years, I'm almost 49, um, you know, I am now running an international charity that really focuses on the mobilization of the, the most marginalized girls in the global south to find their voice, to connect with their voice, to know what it sounds like, and then to learn how to use it to create the change that they want to see in their own communities. So, you know, growing up as somebody who didn't feel I had a voice, growing up in spaces that really squashed my voice and my power, I now spend my days finding ways to help girls find their power and then use it to make change. Because for me, that's the big piece is, is you know, Power is not power if you're just using it for yourself. Power is really um, the ability to step outside of yourself and your own needs and your own perspective um, and your own experience and be able to use that to make change um, within your communities and that we all have a responsibility to do that. So now I run Global Girl Project. We work in 13 locations throughout the Global South. We work you know, in, in some of the most marginalized communities in the world. We work um, in local languages. We run programming in a very different way. We're doing development differently. We're doing development from a feminist perspective, um, a non-colonial, non-patriarchal, non-white perspective of how change really needs to happen. And we know that that is through the power of girls and women so we work, as I said, so we work in partnership, right? So we, we don't run the programming ourselves. As I said, I'm Canadian. My perspective on life in Haiti or, um, you know, Uganda is, is irrelevant, really. And so we work in partnership and we, we work um, with our partners to run initially a three-month program called the Global Girl Leadership Initiative. That is an entry point. That's the planting of a seed into an ecosystem of social change. And we use that because girls, the girls that we're working with are not usually online. They are fairly isolated. Um, and, and so we use that as a, a way to kind of introduce them to the idea of leadership, to introduce them to the idea of, of community change. Um, and create sort of a sisterhood. And so they go through this three-month program. At the end of the program, they actually run their own event. So they choose an issue of their, their, that they're passionate about in their own community. So it might be about, um, might be about gender equity. It might be access to education. It might be early marriage. It might be um, you know, the environment, climate crisis. And they actually run a, a large-scale event inviting their community members to come and attend. Usually it's between 100 and 150 people who attend these events. Um, and and it's amazing because it's really the first time that our girls have ever led anything. So yeah, so those are our offerings right now. And I mean, there's many, many stories um, that I would love to share, but you'll have to stay tuned. Where on earth is your place of reset or recharge? 
for me, I teach and I train capoeira, which is uh, Afro-Brazilian martial art. Uh, it's a very deep practice, so it's not just a martial art. You know, it's a very spiritual practice. It's a obviously it's physical, but it's also you know music. So it's so you learn how to play instruments, you learn how to sing songs. It's community. It's rooted in a deep history of. Um, you know, it was, it was started by by slaves who were brought to Brazil from different parts of Africa, um, and so it's rooted in this this sort of this this desire and a search and expression for freedom and emancipation. And so, for me, that's something that I that is a fairly daily practice for me, and so that helps me to to reset because you're kind of connecting back to all of those pieces as well. And you can do it wherever you are. So when I've been in Nepal, I'm on the rooftop of the place I'm staying. I can do it there. You know, I can do it when I'm in South Africa. I can do it wherever I am. I can do it on my boat. Um, and and so for me, that's, that's really where I go um, in many different ways to reset. What wonder of the natural world excites you the most? I love mountains. Um, I'm definitely a, a mountains uh, woman, and I and I grew up in like a really flat town in southern Ontario, Canada. So it wasn't wasn't what I was surrounded by at all. Um, but for me, you know, I mentioned Nepal earlier, and that was really the first place that I had the experience of being in mountains in the Himalayas and I went on this trek this was when I first went to Nepal and I went on an 11 day trek and I got really really sick they thought I had malaria I was sure I was going to die it was terrifying nobody nobody spoke english it was cold it was this was before people had cell phones mobile phones so it was, you know and it was and it was a, a, an experience that kind of really pushed me far outside my comfort zone um, and I did I ended up making a choice to continue on the trek another five days and get to the top of the mountain. I was up in the, the sort of the Tibetan plateau. And once I got there, I was like, I can do anything. And that was really what was really the beginning of Global Girl Project in many ways. And, and so I, yeah, I love it. I love, I just, I want to get to the top. Um, but then it's also getting down. It's both, right? It's not just getting to the top. It is coming back down. And so I, I, I definitely love a good, good mountain, um, if I can find one. Whilst orbiting around wonder, here is another one-minute wonder from our friends at Ask Nature, who look to nature for inspiration to solve design problems in a regenerative way. After the direct danger of a blazing forest fire, the immense amount of charred debris that runs off into waterways poses a second threat, especially to aquatic species. In 2021, much of the upper Klamath Basin in Oregon became so choked with ash that fish populations all but disappeared. And yet, in certain parts of the basin, the waterways remained clear, free of soot, and full of fish. Those areas were around beaver dams. Since beaver ponds can hold three times the amount of sediment found downstream, it is believed that the runoff from the fire settled in those ponds, keeping the downstream waterways healthy. Similar observations have been made post-wildfire throughout western North America. Beaver ponds create sanctuaries that help forest ecosystems recover from disturbance, 
while the downstream fish feed the food chain that in turn helps maintain the beaver population. This positive feedback has been at play for at least the last 20 million years since modern beavers show up in the fossil record. Julia, what is your story of hopefulness that's not your own, about a person, business or non-profit who are doing amazing things for the world? Won't use the, sort of the, the real name, um, but we'll call her Jane. <laughs> um, is, you know, is, is a young woman uh, from Sierra Leone who grew up in, in a, a very small 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 not even a village really so so somewhere with without running water or power or electricity um you know and and grew up quite isolated in in a lot of different ways and i met her um looking for girls to go on our exchange program global girl project and was one of those girls that just kind of like stood out in so many different ways um, quite powerful, quite outspoken. And, and she, she came on the program. She, you know, she had a very, um, impactful time and went back, you know, went back to her, her community and she needed to, from the program, run her own project. And she did this project around early marriage. Um, cause in her village, the early marriage was sort of, was quite a, quite a big issue, and she ran sessions every week for like three months. And she got to the point where her sessions were having like 70 to 80 people from the community come to these sessions and talk about, you know, what was quite a taboo subject. People loved the sessions so much that she started to get invited to neighboring villages to come and talk about, you know, and she was 17 at the time, 16, 17 at the time. But she she still lived in small village, still very 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 poor, and but was intent on becoming a lawyer. Um, very outspoken, definitely would make a very good lawyer. And then she disappeared from from my radar for a number of years because she's living without without internet or anything like that. Um, and then she popped up like three years later. She'd gotten a mobile phone, and she contacted me. Uh, and she had managed to get herself to the capital Freetown somehow. I don't know. She was enrolled in like a, a, a computer class trying to just save money so that she could eventually go to law school and go to university and enroll in this computer class. And, you know, and she was there for a little while, but if, then didn't have enough money to stay. And her father ended up passing away and her mother was gone. So she, all of these challenges, but every single time would still uses an opportunity to to change and to grow. So then, you know, we reached out to her to write her story and she she completely took that on board and she wrote her own story for a book. And then the last I heard from her, she'd moved back to this small town because she couldn't afford to stay in the capital. She needed to make money. So she was selling water um, and drinks to community members to raise a bit of money for herself. And then it got too cold to do that. So she started selling slippers and she just is like this continual push, try to find a way for her to be independent, try to find a way for her to reach her goal of going to law school in Freetown and, and standing up for the rights of other 
other girls in particular in her community. That was that has been her focus. And she's still working on it. She's still there. She's still, you know, we've lost contact again. Probably she's lost, you know, doesn't have phone, internet, but she will pop back up. Um, and I'm hoping that the next time she pops back up, she's back in Freetown and that she's, you know, she's attending university. Um, but she's somebody who's never lost focus. Uh, and so many of the girls that I've met along the way are like that. Finally, as we prepare to re-enter the Earth's atmosphere, what insight, wisdom or question would you like to share with us? I mean, it's something that I am continuing to work on myself, but I think it's something that's really, really important that I feel like many of us struggle with. It's just like this, the ability to to let go of our own ideas of what our lives are supposed to look like, our own ideas of what our jobs are supposed to be, uh, what our families are supposed to look like, um, you know, our organizations. If you're a founder, all of those things, sort of the, 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 the need for us to let go of control um, and to sort of just surrender to the idea that maybe there's powers out there much greater than us um, and that if we listen to our own intuition, which I think is that, that, that power, that knowing, um, that we can be led down a path that is far, far, far different, much more impactful and much more interesting than some, anything that we can ever come up with on our own. To find out more about Global Girl Project, go to globalgirlproject.org. I want to thank Julia for joining us on Wonderspace this week and for engaging with our six questions in such a compelling way. We finish with a question to you, our listeners. What is your story of hopefulness that's not your own about a person, business or non-profit who are doing amazing things for the world? A story that makes a name for someone else. Thanks for listening.